okay, then who made God, Dad? And uh, and I thought it was like so many questions by five-year-olds. They're the deepest and the best and the stumpers. Welcome to the Search Podcast, where we have conversations about the big questions of God and life. I'm Blaine Larson, and today we're going to discuss if God made the universe, then who made God? My guest is Don Barkley. Don is a graduate of Wheaton College, and then he went on to Dallas Theological Seminary, where he got his Master of Theology degree, and then he joined Search in 1984. So Don has had (laughs) thousands of conversations like the one we're going to have today, right, Don? I'm just glad you're joining us. Thank you for being here. I haven't counted them, but I think thousands wouldn't uh, be an exaggeration. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, we're excited to have you. I was thinking about this topic, and in my mind, I just, I see it as like a sitcom, right, where you've got the dad, and you got the kid, and the kid comes in, little little girl, maybe five, six years old, and she's going, Dad, if God made the universe, then who made God? And they got the <laughs> laugh track, and everybody laughs, and then yeah, exactly. all of a sudden, <clears throat> Dad gets this look on his face like, oh, man, I don't know what to say. This is one of those <laughs> questions that it sounds so simple, and yet, man, it's profound. Exactly. And it was a question that my daughter Elizabeth asked when she was somewhere around five or six years old, where she asked the question, okay, then who made God, Dad? And uh, and I thought it was like so many questions by five-year-olds. They're the deepest and the best and the stumpers. They are. So, let's just dive right into it, Don. Okay. So you get this question, if God made the universe, then who made God? Right. Where do we start? Well, I think, first of all, I'd say it's such a good question. It's asked by adults as well. And sometimes it goes like this, that you Christians or you believers say that you believe in God because, after all, uh, the universe needs a cause. Well, if everything needs a cause, then why doesn't God need a cause? And so, you start thinking, your mind is kind of blown with the question, well, if that cause that caused God, that God needs a cause, and then what about that God? Doesn't that God need a cause? And it just kind of goes back forever, and you just think, this is, this is now becoming a question that I don't think I can, I can handle. So it's really the concept of eternity that we're starting it with here. So it is. So help us. Un- how would you define eternity? Oh man, eternity is 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 with is timeless. It is um, eternity is something we don't swim in. We swim in time. We're used to time. Uh, we're used to like fish swimming in water. It's like a fish thinking about flying through the air. It's so there's a there's an aspect to it that's really beyond us. So I don't know. I I don't know if I can define eternity, but it's it's not time. It's not a long long time. I don't think. I think it's something where the word is. Remember Clinton's favorite. Depends what you mean by the word is. Um, it has to do with being itself, and. Um, and when I think about this question, I, I, I have come to the conclusion after reading and thinking about it and trying to answer this question since Elizabeth asked it many years ago, uh, that if there's an endless chain backwards into an infinity, um, into eternity, and that chain is just as we described it, then we would never be here. There has to be someone, something that has beginning, has, has existence, has being, without having borrowed it. Otherwise, we wouldn't exist. Okay, so that's already a lot to unpack, right? Mm -hmm, That's a mm -hmm. big concept. So, 
uh, I imagine you've come up with some illustrations, or there's some ways of explaining <laughs> that you can you can get it to where somebody like me can understand that, right? Because that's a very philosophical concept that we can't just go back and back and back and back sure. always. So right. help me wrap my mind around that. Okay, you know, I came across this illustration. I wish I could claim it as my own, but I, I adopted it. you can it. hear, Don. I, I mean, nobody will know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it has to do with, you picture an endless line of people, an endless line of people. Maybe they're waiting for the next Apple product, or maybe they're waiting uh, in a line for something else. But there's a picture, an endless line of people, just a single line, one person after another, after another. And I get at the front of that line and I realize, oh, I need a $100 bill right now. And uh, so I turned to the person next to me and said, can you, can you, borrow, can you lend me a $100 bill? I'd like to borrow a $100 bill. They said, I don't have one. I said, could you act, ask the person behind you? They, they say, no, I don't have it. They asked the person next to them, and they don't have it. That person asked the person next to them, and it keeps going backwards. And by now, I'm seeing that happen. I'm thinking, I'm never going to get a $100 bill this way. But let's say after a few, few minutes, um, I see something happening. There's uh, some activity, and persons are handing the $100 bill ahead. And so finally, it gets to the person next to me, who I asked originally, and they hand me this $100 bill. They hand me the $100 bill, so I'm holding it now. And my question in this little thought experiment is, what do we know about that $100 bill? What would you say? What do, what do we know about that $100 bill? Well, it came from somewhere. It there, came, there, yeah. it wasn't an endless chain of nobody has a hundred dollar bill. At some point, somebody had one. They said, "Yeah, right. I got one," and then they passed it up. And we didn't even have to see him, did we? No. We can assume that because I have it. I have the hundred dollar bill, so it must have come one, come from some some source, someone that didn't have to borrow it. They just plain had it. Now, in the same way, then this is the jump that hopefully makes more sense of our question is that in the same way we're here holding existence we exist i have existence i have existence it's like the hundred dollar bill i have it so what can i know and i know that i didn't just have it i borrowed it from my parents they got it from their parents they got it from their parents they got it. if that chain backwards is eternal or infinite i would never have that existence i would never have that hundred dollar bill but i have it I exist. I mean, that's a, that's a hunch I'm going to go with anyway. I exist. Therefore, something, someone had to have it without borrowing it. So it's this concept, again, for helping me to wrap my mind around this, that eternity isn't that chain going back a really, really long time. It's, it goes back and it never stops going back. That's the difference. It, it can be a really, 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 mm. really long time back there. <laughs> but somewhere existence came in. Somewhere somebody had the $100 right. bill. Um, so, so, as I'm following you then, we've really yeah. got uh, two options as I see it. And tell me if there's more. Either there is a God, mm-hmm. like what you're describing, who uh, created everything mm-hmm. and through which existence right. itself uh, right. came into being uh, that possesses eternality mm-hmm. within him or itself or however you want to describe God. Right, right. Or what exists now, the universe, has always been here. But there somehow there's eternity, either within the universe itself or 
without yeah, and coming I guess, from somewhere outside. I, of I it. think so. I, I think, however, I I believe that the the option that the universe is eternal because of what I've just said. Because all the existence that we know is contingent or dependent, that is, on something else. And we can't have an infinite chain of contingent things because they, they, can't, they can't just exist without having found some necessary being at the beginning. So to me, this argument really more argues the fact that there has to be some, something eternal Something that just has existence, and by the way, um, it 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 um, jives with the concept of the Judeo-Christian God. When Moses asks, "So, what is your name?" The name that God gives is "I am," which is pretty pretty amazing. I I am. It isn't I came to be, and you know. So the you know some, another corrective that I that really helped me too. Um, William Lane Craig points this out that you know, philosopher at, uh, in our neck of the woods in Southern California, that it is not correct to say that everything needs a cause. More correctly, it's everything that has a beginning needs a cause. And, and we just know that, that if I find, find a, a ball in the woods, I think, like basketball size, I'm out backpacking, I find a ball in the woods, I think, how'd this ball get here? If that ball were bigger, the biggest Volkswagen, let's say, I'll ask the same question, but the cause has to be bigger. You know, how did this big ball get into the woods? Well, what if the ball is the size of the earth? At, at some point, somehow we get to the point, well, that's not a good question, it just is. Well, it's a, it's a normal thing to ask what's the cause of something. That's good. You know, if there's a man and a cat in the same room and a ball rolls across the floor, the cat runs after it but the man looks to see where it came from. We're, that's built into us. We want to know. So when Elizabeth, my six-year-old, asked that question, that's, that's typical of a human, a human question. What's the cause? And I think the answer has to be something, someone that didn't borrow their existence, but just had it. Otherwise, we'd never be here. So let's, that, this is fantastic. I want to pivot a little bit from mm-hmm. maybe philosophy, what mm-hmm. we've been thought experimenting mm-hmm. our way through this conversation so far, which is fascinating. Let's maybe make it a little tangible and go to science. Okay. And and I, th- I think this'll this will be really interesting to the people that are that are listening. So there's a argument out there for the existence of God that's called the cosmological argument. Mm-hmm. And it's based on uh, the universe and mm-hmm. and it's exi- how it came into mm-hmm. being in the the standard model and and I would love to hear Don how how this impacts this conversation we're having and the implications that has for the existence of a God right right um, and you're right we're going to shift gears into another realm the realm of science which a lot of people think uh, is at odds with with faith with uh, spiritual questions but. Um, God, God and the Astronomers was a book written by Robert Jastrow, who on the first page, he wrote it like in 79-ish, somewhere in there, um, 1979, and he says, I'm an agnostic in terms of religious matters, but he was an astrophysics physicist by trade, taught at two universities, I believe Dartmouth and um, Columbia. But he, he wrote this book, God and the Astronomers, explaining how we've come to the conclusion as a scientific community that the universe had a beginning. 
And he argues by—he doesn't argue, really. He tells a story. He tells the story of men like Georges Lemaitre, the Belgian uh, priest and physicist in, in Europe, um, and Edwin Hubble. And in the, in the late 1920s, they come from two ends, the experimental, the experimental science of astronomy, that's Hubble in, uh, from Mount Wilson Observatory in, near L.A., and from the uh, theoretical side, the math side, George Lemaitre. And other people were working on it too. But because what Hubble observed got people even like Albert Einstein to to take notice that the universe was expanding. Um, He was seeing galaxies and seeing that they were were, um, flying apart from each other at an accelerated pace. And, And if that's true, you wind back the clock back eras of time and you get to a point where the universe is smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and finally to a singularity, they call it. And so the Big Bang model now is called the standard Big Bang model so that even in this little book I read by an atheist, a famous atheist um, uh, for years who I think represented um, this whole field of astronomy on on national public, um, public TV, public public television, um, Andrew deGrasse Tyson, who says in his little book, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, that's what got my attention. He says, so what we, what we know, this is a paraphrase, what we know for sure is that the universe had a beginning. And so if the universe had a beginning, then it really flushes up all sorts of then theological and philosophical questions if it had a beginning. And we're talking about it having a beginning from nothing. So, uh, man, I got 20 questions for you. We're going to run out of time. <laughs> get to them all. Uh, so, let's define nothing. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Isn't that something we're talking about? It's that? pretty amazing. It but is. So, when we, yeah. we're getting into this conversation, what, what, mm-hmm. do these, what do these cosmologists mean when they say the universe emerged out of nothing? I ask this question of a lot of people when they talk about the Big Bang because it's a, it's a household term now. Uh, and most people think that it, there was this great big open black dark space, empty space, like a giant room in the universe. Like you're watching Apollo 13 and Tom Hanks and them are cruising out yep. to the moon and there's just, there's quote, nothing. nothing. There's nothing. And yeah, you subtract all the celestial bodies, the stars, the planets, the asteroids, whatever, and there's just nothing. But you know what the Big Bang model says, and Einstein helped us with this, is that all of physical reality, including space and time, and of course matter, all being a part of physical reality, did not exist. So it wasn't like there's a big space and there was some stuff that exploded into space. There was nothing. There was no space, no time, and no matter, and no energy field, no gravitational field. There was nothing. And so, you know, to me, it, 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 I can't help but say the conclusion we draw from that is, uh, is that a big question mark, what can nothing do? And this is a question posed by, um, by a professor um, who asked at this point, what can nothing do? Nothing, was the answer. <laughs> and then that means that if nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could, we all know that lyric from Sound of Music, then something that wasn't part of the physical universe must have been the cause, or we have to have a greater faith and assume that the whole universe 
came from nothing when we know that nothing can do nothing. That would be the only instance of something not having a cause. That would be the entire universe having no cause. Right. That something would come into existence without any, any kind of cause. And we know that this universe is not eternal. So we know, at least we, are, we have this collective sort of um, consensus uh, from the scientific community, atheist, non-Christian, um, agnostic, scientific community has concluded that the universe had a beginning. And this was a big deal, as I understand, and you correct me if I'm misunderstanding something, but uh, when, when Hubble and Einstein understood this new model of the universe and they saw the expansion in the galaxies and the redshift and mm-hmm. all of the things that they mm-hmm. were observing, this is about 100 years ago. Late 1920s. You're right. And prior to that, the assumption was that the universe was eternal. eternal. That, that I mean, this rocked the scientific community. It had huge philosophical implications mm-hmm. and mostly theological implications That's because right. of what we're talking about That's right. today. Before 1929, it was very easy to be somebody who was an atheist and who who thought that the universe was was eternal. That's that, right. That was the prevailing view, and now we know that that's most likely not correct. So it's just a really interesting time that we live in where we have some real tangible evidence. So last thing I want to ask you, actually second to last thing I want to ask you. So as we look at the cosmological argument, we look at the universe having a beginning, what are some of the traits of the cause of the universe that we can reason in our mm-hmm. minds to? That's a, I love that question, too. Um, when you think about most explosions, which this was an explosions, uh, an explosion of sorts, the biggest ever, a, a bit, the Big Bang, which was a term coined um, not by a friend of the Big Bang model at first, but we've adopted it. Um, but... When this explosion occurred, unlike many explosions, if it, it, it created order, which is amazing. When you, if, you, if I throw a hand grenade into a shack, whatever order was in that shack, furniture, walls, roof, it creates disorder, chaos out of that order, right? You, throw, you, throw, you have an explosion, and we just have this picture of now order being changed into chaos, into disorder. The, the Big Bang was the opposite. Um, it makes me think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where this was not just a big bang, it was a most excellent bang. That this, this created a universe that within microseconds already had um, constants, like the gravitational constant, um, the, the weak, gra- the weak um, nuclear force, the strong nuclear force, all those things. And, and, um, and before long, before long, um, the constants like the the mass ratio between a proton and electron uh, is is established, and that's the that's the way it is all over the universe. By the way, is that these constants and the there's this kind of fine tuned quality to the universe that not only did it create order, it created this this exceptionally complex, magnificent, beautiful order. And so, one thing that we see is that whatever this cause was, was um, a designer of sorts, an architect, 
And, uh, and that kind of is, is mind-blowing, that the cause, and also the fact that if this cause exists from eternity, and the universe only exists in time, then at some moment, there even might have been a will, you would think, a will, some choice to create the universe at this point, if there is a point in eternity, you know. Um, and so this being, I think, there's the fingerprints of, a, um, of an intelligent designer god. There's the picture of a god with volition. And, um, and that's a good start anyway. So, Don, winding up the podcast, what practical difference does it make when we, right. when we think about this question? What can this do for our lives? What questions could you leave us with to ponder? Well, one thing, God is a very big God. And when we're talking about God, I think most people, when they think about God, and I heard this from Norman Geisler years ago, is that when most people think about God, they think of a big angel. Uh, this God is mind-blowing or else is not God. This God is mysterious or else is not God. If, it's, if we can wrap our minds around it, if we can, as it were, run his, all his software on our hardware, then it probably is a finite picture of God. So what this question brings to the table is this idea of a God who is awesomely mysterious. Because who can grasp this, this, this concept of an eternal God to think that before the universe was and after the universe is gone, that reality is and that that reality is this God, then if I have a need in my life, I have a big enough God to meet my deepest needs. I have a God big enough to, to reach down into my life and give me a touch of that eternal love. If this is true, that God exists, then I'm not just talking to a big angel. I'm talking to the ground of all being. And if this ground of all being is intelligent and has will and I'm made in His image, and that he wants to have an eternal love relationship with me, he's not just a higher power, he's the highest power beyond my imaginings. Man, uh, thank you. Great wrap-up. Don, really appreciate you being here and joining us on the Search Podcast. And I want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast. This has been a great conversation. If you liked it, please subscribe, share this with your friends. We would love to continue the conversation with you. So if you have a question or a topic for us that you'd like to discuss on the podcast or you'd like for uh, us to discuss on the podcast, email us, podcast at searchnational.org. You can find out more about Search by going to searchnational.org as well. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.